0: Welcome to The Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London. And I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. Uh, Welcome. If we've not yet met, my name is Al and I help lead Saint. And if you're new, I would love to have a chance to say hi to you. I'll be around at the end as you leave tonight. Um, Come and say hi. Tell me a bit of your story. We'd love to get to know you and connect with you. We are in a series right now called Jesus Acts looking at the words that Jesus speaks in the book of Acts. Now, if you've read the Bible, you'll know that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus speaks to his friends on earth. He teaches, it's recorded what, a lot of what he says is in those books. But then he dies, he rises from the grave, he goes up to heaven and is seated at the right hand of Father. And up from that point, thank you so much, that's the, the, basically the theology of the Christian faith right there in like 30 seconds. And, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. All authority and power belongs to him and the earth is in this season where we're like finding out who Jesus is. And the crazy thing is, when I'm reading through the Bible, we get to the book of Acts, and it's like, what is Jesus doing still in the book of Acts? I thought he was in heaven. But when you read through the book of Acts, you'll notice, if you have like a red letter Bible, that Jesus speaks to people through the book of Acts. I'm like, what happened? Is it like an encore? Is he back? Just one more thing, guys, I forgot to say. The point is, all the way through the story of the church, from Acts to Revelation, Jesus is speaking, and he wants to speak to you today. God is a God who doesn't leave you on your own to figure out the Christian faith. He's walking beside you. He's encouraging you, speaking to you. I believe he's going to do that tonight. So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 11. If you have a Bible with you, open it up. Verses 1 to 18, and I'm going to read it for us, and it's going to come up on the screens behind us as well. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill, and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke a second time from heaven. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea, stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved." As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he'd come on us at the beginning. Then I remember what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave the same gift he he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When I heard this, when they heard this, They had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Today's message is called It's What's Inside That Counts. It's What's Inside That Counts. There was once a tragedy at London Zoo. London Zoo had organised for a gorilla to be shipped and to arrive at the zoo, and it was a big moment in the life of the zoo. Tickets were sold, bank holiday weekend in May, everyone really excited, school children had come by the coach load. It was a big moment to see the gorilla that had arrived at London Zoo. The morning of the launch came, the zookeeper opened the cage the gorilla, and the gorilla had sadly passed away during the night. I know. Thank you for compassion. At this point, the zoo panicked because they had sold more tickets than ever before. They said, well, we've got to do something. All these people are coming to see the gorilla. As it happened that morning, a young man had arrived at the zoo for a job interview in the accounts department. I don't know if we have any accountants here. Very skillful people. The guy was ushered in by the HR director. They said, listen, we can't actually offer you the accounting job today, but there is another position that's opened up. We'd like to offer you double the money that you would get paid as an accountant but it's a bit of a weird job it's just for six weeks after which you can carry on at your full salary in the accounts team but for the next six weeks we need you to be the gorilla now he's like you know accounting is quite a highly paid job but double the money to be a gorilla for six weeks I can probably do this So they said, yep, okay, he went through, he went into the dressing up kind of room where they had like a costume for him, they put makeup on him, prosthetics on him, they gave him a bit of coaching about how to be a gorilla, and the moment came, they opened the door of the gorilla enclosure, the crowds were there, and out he goes in a very convincing gorilla suit, and everybody buys it. The crowd are cheering, they see the gorilla, he walks out, and the more he does stuff that's like gorilla the more the crowd cheer. So he walks. So he starts beating his chest, and the crowd go crazy. He runs around. He starts like playing with bananas, and the children are going nuts. And then he decides to go on the rope swing that's in the enclosure. And he gets on the rope swing. At this point, the crowd are going insane. It's being streamed on the news. Crews are there. It's amazing. The guy is swinging on the gorilla swing, and he gets so carried away that he loses his grip at the top of the, the arc of the swing, and finds himself flying through the air and he lands with a thud in the next door enclosure. I know. Which happens to be the lion enclosure. At this point, he's panicking. He's freaking out. He looks up and he sees at the end of the enclosure a solitary lion wake up and start to pad over. To where he's lying on the floor and he's actually freaking out so he thinks I've got to break my cover I don't know if I, if I lose my job I'm just going to go for it so he starts going help 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 get me out of here and there's a deep voice that comes from within the line that says mate shut up or we'll both lose our jobs It's a terrible joke, but thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, can I get a clap for that one? It's a terrible joke, but it beautifully makes the point I wanna talk to you about tonight. It's what's inside that counts. It's what's inside that counts. So much of the time, we get obsessed with the outward appearance, with the exterior. How do I look? How much do I weigh? Have I closed my rings today? As I was writing this talk last night, my Apple Watch pinged me a reminder that I hadn't closed my rings. I was like, the irony of this. It said to me, a 30-minute brisk walk would see you good. I'm like, it's 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday night. Who's gonna go for a 30-minute brisk walk in Hackney at 11 o'clock at night? Not me. Or maybe uh, you look at your social media posts and you're like, how many likes have I had? today or maybe your dating profile has anybody matched with me today and it's certainly true of the way we measure things professionally if you have a job and you're in a professional environment maybe you have an appraisal with your manager maybe you have a target maybe you're in business and you have a sales target have you met your target are you performing in your work and it's not that any of these things are bad in themselves but they only tell you half the story they only tell you what's going on on the outside and ultimately what happens if the outside doesn't match up with the inside is you end up in this conflict where you're left disappointed, dissatisfied and depressed if we're justified by the outward experience by rules and regulations that will lead to internal frustration let me give you an example that you'll be familiar with from your life Do you remember the rules at school that you hated? Anyone remember like a school rule? You're like, that was ridiculous. You were also well behaved at school. I was like, if I saw a rule, I considered it worth breaking. Like don't run in the corridor. Do you remember that one? Why would you not run in a corridor? It's a corridor. What else are we gonna do in the corridor? Walk really slowly? No. The worst was don't walk on the grass. Do you remember that one? always they had a patch of grass it was a tiny patch of grass and a sign in the middle of it saying do not walk on the grass like why wouldn't you or like you got to class and the teacher would be like you are late don't be late for class I'd be like well I'm not allowed to run in the corridor I'm not allowed to walk on the grass it took me ages to get here because of your stupid rules or let me tell you a little confession now we're on the subject of rules I have a problem with golf I don't know if you play golf I know a number of you here play golf and I need mercy and compassion for you because I struggle with golf. Like I've only been to try golf once. A friend of mine who was a member of a really posh golf club, he said, come along, you'll love it, it's really fun. I'll organise for you to have a set of golf clubs and you can go and play. And I was like, okay, I'll come and give it a go. And I got there and I got out the, the kind of car where we arrived at the golf club and the, the, the man who was checking us in said, oh, sorry, sir, you're wearing trainers. I was like, yeah, well, what, what, of course, sir. and you're wearing jeans. And I was like, yes. And apparently they have a dress code at the golf club. You've got to wear these fancy shoes with studs on the bottom. You've got to wear like posh trousers and like all this like stuff. And then there are laws and bylaws. And like, I'm like, I hate this already. And then you get on the golf course with one of those things. What are they called? A a club. You get a club and there's a ball and you have to put the ball on like a a tee. Okay. I mean, and, and you have to hit it. And then when you hit it, you can't just like... Like muck around, you've got to like walk in a really neat way with your golf bag and sort of be very polite. And you know, it was so annoying. One of the like long, what are the green things called? A fairway, thank you. One of the fairways, in the middle of the fairway, between the, 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 the bit where you put the thing on the thing and you hit it, and there's a hole you're trying to get the thing into, there's a big pond. Like who puts that in the middle of the fairway? It's a big water thing. And I look at this thing, is so stupid. And we get near it, and of course I try and take a shot and my ball goes straight in the pond. And not only that, but the balls don't float in golf, they sink. So my friend says, okay, you can have another ball, have another go, so have another go, straight in the middle of the pond. Five times this happens. And the guy starts going, actually, they're quite expensive balls. Can you please stop hitting them in the pond? I'm like, it's a stupid idea, who's put the pond there there? And I literally, at this point, I break. I have a little moment. I'm not proud of it, but I basically flipped out. I was like, fine, if you're so precious about your flipping balls, I'll go and get them, so I strip down to my underwear, I take off my fancy shoes, my fancy pants, I have a jacket, I I get into my pants, and I dive into the lake in the middle of the posh golf course, which apparently is not allowed either, apparently wild swimming is not encouraged in the posh golf course. To this point, I have golf buggies riding from all the far corners of the golf course, officials coming over, people with like megaphones. please get out of the lake immediately. Like literally, I hadn't even got time to get the balls when I was literally arrested and marched back to the clubhouse. And that was like, that's it. I've never been near a golf course since then. And I never intend to, to my dying day, because I can't stand it. I'm really sorry. I need, I need prayer for this. It's the rules and the regulations. Maybe there's something in your life you're like, mmm. Maybe there's a person in your life where like there's some mmm. Is, is that anybody have that? Mmm. It's the sort of. Mm. And there are moments when, when outside influences on us make us feel a little bit like hemmed in. Because you and I were made for freedom. We were made to ride the green open prairie on the golf buggy of life. Not to be hemmed in by bylaw 61, thou shalt not swim in the lake. And growing up, if I'm honest with you, I thought religion was a little bit like that. I thought that God somehow was like a posh golf club owner. That there were rules and regulations, that I had to do a certain thing and look a certain way and behave a certain way. And So I stayed well away from church. And what we're going to learn today is that God is the opposite of that. He is not the owner of some exclusive members club. Quite the opposite. God is the God of the wide open space, the wild adventure. And to get there, we have to let God do some work on us on the inside. Because here's the thing, external rules and regulations sometimes are helpful, but on their own, they are a lousy motivator for change in your life. They're not going to really help you. They're going to guide you. But if you want to see change, it's what's inside that counts. All right? So, in this passage we're looking at, Acts chapter 11, we see the most extraordinary moment, arguably, in the story of the early church. Sure, you've had Pentecost. You've had people being raised from the dead. You had the sick being healed. But this is the moment that tips the early church, from being a members' club to being a movement that has reached East London in 2023. And you and I are here today because of what we read about in these 18 verses. Let me explain. Up to this point, the early church had been a bit like a members' club. It had been a kind of sect for Jewish converts. In other words, everybody who'd become a Christian up to that point was basically Jewish, with one or two exceptions. And those who weren't Jewish had to become Jewish in order to be part of the club. And the earliest Christians in the months after the day of Pentecost would live pretty standard Orthodox Jewish lives. They ate very traditional Jewish food rules. They wore pretty traditional stuff. They hung out with people who were also from the same background as them. It was pretty much like a closed club. And in fact, if you didn't do that stuff, you were considered quite dangerous like unclean a lawbreaker and so if you were to become a Christian what would have to happen is you would have to adopt the customs of the club including food regulations and circumcision I mean that's going to be awkward conversation isn't it like you know, imagine an Alpha course here. We run Alpha over the road. A bunch of you, I'm looking around, My like, there's some guys who were in my Alpha group last term. They've like, I'm picking, I'm not going to name you, but let's say they said, oh, I want to come to church. I think I might become a Christian. I quite like, I want to keep hanging out. What are the membership requirements if I come to church? Well, you know, everyone giving, everyone serving, everyone praying and circumcision. What? It's a minor surgical procedure. Seriously? Like, that would never happen. Can you imagine that? you would be like, thanks so much. I'm going to spend Sunday night taking up yoga. I'll see you guys later. But that's literally what happened. And what was happening was that the church was still focusing on the outward experience rather than the inward transformation that comes through the grace of Jesus. And what we find in this story is the tipping point where the church goes from being the posh golf club To being a riot of grace and love and hope that spreads through the world. So, in this passage, what happens is this Peter, who's the boss, he's the leader of the early church, has a revelation from God. He's having a vision. He's praying in a town called Joppa in the previous chapter. And he sees this vision in which God says to him, Peter, get up, kill, eat this big tablecloth of all the kind of foods that if you're a good Jewish guy you would not want to eat like shellfish and all the stuff that like he's not allowed to eat and he's like no I can't do that and God's like don't worry do it get up kill eat and then After this kind of strange vision, he gets a knock on the door and he goes to the house of a man called Cornelius. And we know from the scripture that Cornelius is an Italian soldier from the Roman legion who would have been stationed in Joppa. So a conquering oppressor soldier occupying a place, quite an unlikely person for Peter to want to hang out with. He's a Gentile. And at that point, the world was divided into two types of people. The Jewish people and the Gentiles, everybody else. And then he, Peter goes in and he, and he prays with Cornelius and he lays hands on him. And, 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 and instead of it being like, no, God doesn't go there, extraordinarily, the Holy Spirit comes on them in the same way that He came on the first Christians at the day of Pentecost. And in this moment, God is tearing up the game plan, He's literally rewriting the rules. He's radically changing things. And news of this occasion starts to spread through the whole early church. You know how it is; people talk on their kind of first century WhatsApp, they're like, you'll never believe what has happened. Maybe the Instagram Live or the TikTok or the meeting, everyone's like getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're like, this does not look right. These are not like the normal people who are meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's going on here? And people, of course, start getting really cross. I don't know if you've ever had people get cross with you because of your faith. The kind of religious guys, it says this in verse two, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, in other words, those in the club, the paid up members, criticised him and they said, and they they write down what they said, listen to this, you went, listen to the passive aggressive tone This comes in, so Peter, hang on a minute, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them, Mm. you can hear the anger in their voices. And so Peter has to explain what's going on. Now, when we read the explanation that we've read through verses 1 to 18 today, his speech, we're like, how interesting, what a funny story. But if you were in the first century, let me explain to you, this passage would be plain as day because it draws on some of the most important symbolism of the culture of the day. Let me explain this for you. To do this, I want to just for a moment take a little segue into Near Eastern legal theory. Bear with me, if you're a lawyer you probably know this already, but stay with me for a moment. Take a two minute detour into legal theory of the Near Eastern ancient world, okay? In the ancient world there were two historic superpowers. Egypt, as in the story of where the people of God came from captivity under Pharaoh, prince of Egypt let my people go, all that kind of stuff, right? Thank you. Over there. Egypt, and they had a legal system. The other legal system was the legal system of the day, which was the Roman legal system. So, the empire of today, Roman law, the empire where they began their story as the people of God, Egyptian law. Hold that thought in your head. Now, the law of Egypt and the rule of Rome were like the bookends of people's understanding and pretty much everybody would have been familiar with law in Rome and law in Egypt. Now, let's look at this a bit closer. In the Roman world, if you wanted to pass a law, what would happen is you'd write a law down, you'd take a vote on it, you'd do all that kind of stuff, and then you would take six seals, wax seals, that represented six statements of affirmation from the elders or the kind of judges in the court. And the seals would be affixed, stamped to the bottom of the legal document. So I want you to imagine a legal document and the bottom, they affix six seals, like affirmations, proof that the document is now law. And the document wasn't law until those seals were placed on the document, all six of them. The same thing still happens in British law today. The crown places a seal. We only have one seal. In the Roman world, they needed six seals, six statements. Then under Egyptian law, if you wanted to pass something in a court of law, you needed not one witness, but six witnesses. So if you wanted to enact something before a judge, you needed six people who would testify to the validity of what was being proposed. So hold those two numbers in your head. Six seals, six witnesses. Why am I telling you this? Segway out of legal theory back into the passage. Look with me at verses 7 to 10. Verse 7, Peter says this, Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time, said, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Then Peter says this happened three times. Peter Get up, kill, eat. Don't let anything impure. Uh, I'll call what's pure, pure. Don't let call anything impure that God's made clean. Get up, Peter, kill, eat. Don't call anything impure. Get up, Peter, kill, eat. Don't make anything impure that I've called pure. Six statements of validation. You see what God is doing? That's Roman law. God has entered the legal framework and we're watching the court of heaven create law in the culture of the earth then what happens next Peter gets up and he goes to Cornelius' house and then in verse 12 we learn the spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them these six brothers also came with me and we entered the house and then the Holy Spirit came so you see six witnesses what's God doing in this moment in this moment the court of heaven is writing a new law. There's a covenant taking place that the age of the Holy Spirit has come, not just for the Jewish people, but for all people, Jerusalem, Judea, and now the ends of the earth, even East London in 2023. From Roman law to Egyptian law, From the court of heaven, a judgment call is being made. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is, I'm no longer looking at the outward appearance. My love is not performative. My grace can't be earned. My favor cannot be bought. It's now what's inside you that's going to count. From now to eternity, from the darkest days of your captivity in Egypt right the way through to the present oppression of your struggle and your reality in every step of your situation, I am writing a new law on your heart by my Holy Spirit. I'm going to take a heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh again. I'm going to put my spirit inside you and I'm going to write my law of love on your heart because from now on into eternity, it's what's inside that counts and maybe you're here tonight and you're like oh my heart feels like it's tired I'm done with the golf club religion let me encourage you that Jesus wants to come and fill you with that same covenant on the inside tonight maybe you've been in Egypt and you felt captive to the slavery of a destructive pattern maybe you felt caught in unhealthy thinking maybe you look in the mirror and you see something you don't yet love well Jesus wants to come six times say to you no I'm writing my covenant on your heart it's what's inside that counts you don't have to be performative you don't have to close those rings spiritually I'm with you and I'm making all things new in your life Or maybe you're struggling under the kind of Roman law of like, hey, you know, I feel oppressed. I feel like I can't break through in this area in my life. I wish my situation was different. I wish I had an open heaven over my life. I'm hungry, but I can't seem to find the kingship of Jesus in my everyday life. Well, let me tell you, Jesus wants to come and seal your heart tonight with his promise. So when you walk out the door, you're standing six inches taller spiritually. And you know on the inside, God has made you right again. It's what's inside that counts. And the point is really this. The message of Jesus is not for people who've got it all together. It's not people who are performing, who seem to be religious or are in the in-club or super spiritual. It's for ordinary people like you and me who haven't got it all together, who are figuring it out, who are just trying to work out which way to go and what to do. And verse 14 says this. And the word Gentiles is really important. It says, a message to Gentiles. Sorry, verse 1, says, a message for which you and all your household will be saved. Like ordinary people who are not religious are being called into salvation. I love this promise. I didn't grow up with a Christian family. None of my family were really believers in Jesus when I became a Christian. I used to look at this message, this verse, and I'd be like, this is a promise. Not just me but all my family, all my household. Maybe that's like you, you're here and you're like, all my flatmates, my parents, my brother, my sister. God's love can't be contained because it's not what's going on out there that you can control, it's what's inside that counts. Streams of living water, that are going to overflow from your life and impact your whole family. And then what happens in verse 15 is they put their trust in Jesus. A second Pentecost happens says this as I began to speak the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning now I'd have loved to be at the day of Pentecost we're doing amazing 3,000 people became Christians got baptized crazy earthquake wind tongues of fire like wow but what Peter is saying in a throwaway line is God does it again and this time he does it with people who aren't even looking for it do you see what's happening it's like a chain reaction beginning to happen in the early church that's spreading beyond the walls of the club and spreading to the far corners of the earth. And you and I are riding that wave tonight. And verse 18, it says this When they heard this, the leaders of the church, they had no further objections, Your Honor. The court is closed. They praise God, saying, So then, even the Gentiles, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. What a crazy thing. You know, here we are, 2023, in East London, or wherever you're watching this, if you're watching online, and we're still standing under this covenant that God has granted you and me the opportunity to turn our lives around, to repent, to turn away from the stuff that will come out of Egypt, come out of the wrong kind of kingship under Roman law, come under the kingship of heaven tonight. Repentance that leads to life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life in all its fullness. So let me ask you the million dollar question tonight. In your life, What's inside? And does it count? Because sometimes the honest truth is we can hang on to rules and regulations because they make us look good when we obey them. But God has something far more wild, far more adventurous, far more radical, far more dangerous that when we allow the Holy Spirit to flow and change us, Inside, then nothing's impossible for God. Maybe you're here and you've tried to live a golf club kind of religion, but you just know that the rules and regulations don't work. You just keep sinking in the water feature. (laughs) Maybe you've tried to live an Apple Watch spiritual kind of existence where you remind yourself each day, well, if I read my Bible 30 minutes more, if I could just pray a little bit longer, if I could just close those rings, well, that's all good stuff, but it's not going to get you to heaven. It's what's inside that counts. Or maybe you're here tonight and you're like, well, I just feel tired on the inside. I feel like I've been living a performative kind of faith and I need to encounter the real thing. Well, tonight, the Holy Spirit wants to meet you inside, fill you. Jesus has promised that all who put their trust in him Streams of living water will flow from the inside out, transforming our lives, our families, our friends, our future, so that one day when we look back from eternity, we'll say it was that moment when we really allowed the Holy Spirit to live inside us that changed everything. A while ago, I was on holiday, and... um, Uh, I kind of had one of these holidays where I just sort of forgot. It was longer than normal, and I'd kind of forgotten at the end of it what I was like you, you, you forget like what day it is, one of those really good breaks when you totally chill and you're like, your inbox is switched off and your like to-do list is out of your head and you're not worrying about a lot of stuff. And the last night of the holiday, I was like, oh Lord, I, I need to kind of gear my brain up because I've got to be at church. It was a Saturday. I've got to be at church tomorrow morning. I, I, don't, know, I, don't, I don't know what day of the, the week it is. So I've got to figure it all out. And I had this sort of panic. I don't know if you've ever had that, like a little bit of panic. What am I going to do? What's going on? And that night I go to sleep. And I had this vivid dream. I'll never forget. It was like a technicolor dream. And it was definitely, I I, I don't dream that often. It was like an unusual dream. Uh, I would say it was like a God dream. And in the dream, I walked into one of our church services here. And the place was full of people passionately pouring out their worship to God. People were on their knees, hands raised in tears, worshipping Jesus. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And I remember being aware there was this thick sense of like the presence of God. It's like Jesus was in the room, pouring out his power and his Holy Spirit. And I remember being overwhelmed in my dream. I was like, I'm getting filled with the Holy Spirit in my dream, what's going on? And then in my dream, God says really clearly and loudly this one phrase Al, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I woke up. And I've not forgotten that. Ever since then, I've thought to myself, well, it's pretty clear what the Lord wants us to do as a community. We're not here to perform, to look good, to close the rings, to be a club for our members. It's what's inside that cans. And I believe tonight, God would want to fill you and me with the Holy Spirit, just like he did at our first Pentecost, just like he did in Acts 11, just like he wants to do today in February 2023. Question is, would you like to ask him? Would you like to be filled? Let's stand together. Why don't we take a moment and um, let's just be still? And let me just encourage you before we pray. That it says this in Romans five, verse five. Paul writes this: "The love of God is." God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. I've got some water here. I'm not going to pour it out. But, you know, if I was to pour this water out, it it would be obvious. That's what the Holy Spirit is like. He's like water poured into your heart. And like with water, you you, you don't need to be filled with water. If I take a drink of water, I don't need to drink water. but, But I'm involved in the process. That's what we're gonna do now. We're gonna simply ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. And it might be you're here and you're tired, and it feels like it's been a long whatever. It might be you feel like, yeah, I feel like I've been living a golf club kind of religion, in which case the Lord wants to fill you on the inside. Maybe you're here tonight, and I wonder if there's a bunch of people here tonight, and when I talk about the wild adventure of faith, that's what you signed up for. You are not here tonight to do religion. (laughs) You are here because the Spirit of God has captured your imagination for a world that could be different. And the answer is you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's what's inside that counts. So I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and we'll see what he wants to do. And we'll pray for a moment and then we'll carry on. So why don't we just close our eyes and from the front of the room to the back of the room, wherever you're watching us tonight, why don't we just wait You might find it helpful to hold your hands out. I find that's like body language to God. It sort of says, well, God, you know, I want to receive from you tonight. So come Holy Spirit, I pray. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. If you'd like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, Saint.chat. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.